You're listening to There Ought to Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. Today, yeah, hey, it was my birthday on Sunday. Oh, is that right? Hey, yeah, congrats. Hey, we're almost twins. Congratulations. We don't, we, we look alike. We do look alike, <laughs> except for a little bit of verticality. And you hey, know, uh, that's how we're starting off the show with height jokes, heightism. I'm 33, <laughs> no. guys. I remember that age. You're a rabbit heightist. 33, yeah. Uh, so hey, speaking of which, you know what I got for my birthday is an amazing present. It was unfortunate for some people, but for me, it was amazing. You ever, uh, you ever like go through a traffic light and like you get pulled over and you kind of in the back of your head, you're like, I bet I can argue this. But then you realize there's cameras everywhere and you can't really argue it. Well, remember a couple of weeks ago, listeners, we talked about GM Cruise, um, unfortunate accident where they, uh, pedestrian was hit, rolled underneath their car. And they said, hey, we stopped the vehicle. And we had a discussion on the show about, hey, do you leave the person pinned out of the car? Do you remove the person from the car? What would a human driver do? Would a human driver behave differently? Well, GM Cruz said, hey, we acted appropriately. We immediately stopped the car. And they showed that vintage footage to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Turns out they and edited that footage. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turns out they, uh, they're they like, cut, cut tape. Because what we didn't see and the Department of Motor Vehicles found out was that they did stop on top of the woman. Then they drove for another 20 feet at seven miles per hour, dragging this poor woman off the side of the road. The California Department of Motor Vehicles, in celebration of my birthday, gave me a gift and said, hey, GM Cruise, your robo taxis are no longer allowed to operate in the state of California. Amazing. Now, what I want to point out to our gentle listeners is that last week we discussed the regulations associated with the autonomous vehicles and, and more to the point, the lack of regulations. And in particular, we talked about something called the minimal risk condition, which is at best a misnomer. Um, people should know that what this cruise vehicle did uh, with this poor woman was completely consistent with compliance with a minimal risk condition that was adopted by the SAE. And uh, implicitly, it was adopted by NHTSA as well when they vacated the previous regulations associated with autonomous vehicles. So the fact that the woman was uh, hit by the car, the car stopped, and then it dragged her 20 feet before it stopped again. The lawyers for GM will no doubt argue that, well, Your Honor, this was completely consistent with a minimal risk condition, which is industry standard for how an autonomous vehicle should behave. So... As discussed last week, we're, we've been fighting this for a while. We haven't completely won the battle yet, but this is an important uh, evidence or an important illustration of why this is an important discussion, why we need to win this, and uh, you know, actually why the Center for Auto Safety exists to make sure that these kind of issues are introduced to the public. Yeah, so GM's uh, crew CEO, Kyle, uh, last month in an interview with the Washington Post, he was saying that the criticism of driverless cars is overblown and the incidents involving his company have been sensationalized. 
Um, however, the California Department of Motor Vehicles said in its decision Tuesday that cruise vehicles are not safe for the public's operation and also determined the company misrepresented information related to the safety of autonomous technology. So, Michael, from a, a lawyer perspective, let's <laughs> what it seems like they they, uh, you know, the cover up is worse than the crime almost. Yeah, I mean, here, I think that's really what got the DMV to act. You know, we've in California, we've seen a lot of you know hesitancy recently to to um, by the governor who, you know, vetoed the, the safety driver in, in trucks by the Public Utilities Commission that tried to expand cruises jurisdiction. At the same time, this DMV that made the current decision was cutting it in half. Um, they've. <laughs> The basically, I think what this comes down to is that the DMV here has, you know, a duty under the law and their regulations to respond when they find out that someone's lying to them. Um, we, as the public, you know, we're all functionally being lied to here, you know, not only with the whole, these things are safer than you, but in this specific circumstance, you know, GM Cruz came out showed video to reporters who were covering this, showed video to the DMV, and completely omitted the fact that this vehicle, you know, started moving again in what they're calling a, uh, I forget what it was called, some kind of special maneuver, um, a pullover maneuver, while the pedestrian was underneath the vehicle. They never showed that video to anyone. You might have heard us you know, say, show us the video, Kyle, uh, a couple of weeks back in the podcast. And this is the exact reason why, because there's more to the story that GM was trying to cover up. They didn't do such a good job, though, because they, it looks like they ran into either a NHTSA or NTSB person who was covering this and, and, and that person mentioned that the vehicle restarted again and dragged the pedestrian after the crash. And, you know, the DMV said, whoa, we, we haven't heard anything about this, um, which is kind of funny because I, I'm assuming the reason that California didn't hear about it and that this other probably federal employee had is because federal law has criminal and civil penalties for people that, that lie to investigators. Um, I'm not sure that California's autonomous vehicle regulations have gotten that far yet. And so, you know, functionally, Cruz was walking into the meeting with California DMV saying, hey, we can tell these guys this. We don't have to tell them about that. And there's nothing, you know, we're not getting thrown in jail. And we're going to try to skate through this without anyone finding out that we actually, you know, our vehicle started again after coming on, you know, running up on top of the pedestrian and dragged the person that was completely omitted from everything Cruz was representing at the time of this crash and in the weeks afterwards until we found out about this so you know i think this is you know the dmv as you know they're still some not they're not politically independent obviously since i'm sure that some of their leadership is nominated by the governor's office but in this case you know i think they're they're probably a little angry um at at being played for a fool and and you know gm Cruz clearly went around the reporting obligations I and mean, they clearly you know you you can't you can't capture a crash in in the very first particular 
I'm, I'm mumbled, I'm garbled right now, but you can't capture a crash of that sort only in the what happens the first moment you make contact. Like we've spoken about a lot here, there are a lot of post crash things that go on, you know, for people to get to have egress and get out of the vehicle. There's a lot to the safety of cars and particularly autonomous vehicles that happens after the crash. And so, you know, when you just show a video of the crash and you don't show how the cruise vehicle responded to having a human being under the vehicle after the crash, you're leaving out a huge portion of the safety story there. And Cruz knows they were doing that. Um, there's no question about that. So let's put this in, in a different frame. So Kyle always says that humans are terrible drivers. So let's imagine that it wasn't a robo taxi. It was a human behind the wheel. And let's say I'm the driver and this happens. I hit somebody. They're trained up, pinned under my car. I hit the brakes. And then for whatever reason, I'm like, well, let me pull off to the side of the road to get out of the way, even though I know I've hit a human or I've hit anything. It doesn't matter. So now I've stopped the vehicle and now I'm dragging. And I, you can sense when you're dragging anything in a car, but I'm going to continue dragging for a good 20 feet at seven miles per hour, and then I'm going to park. Now, as a person, as a licensed driver, what level of liability am I at? Besides having a TV movie made about me, about being the worst person on planet Earth, I imagine... Yeah, I mean, besides being, <laughs> a, you know, an absolute idiot, you you are probably... Lie, you're going, even if the, you know, even if this incident happened and it was completely not your fault... The point at which you decided to move that vehicle again post crash and you injure someone, you know, the whole clock starts over. You're not you're not off the hook for that because you've made a decision outside of the crash that functionally has created a completely new circumstance. Um, and it it would just be dumb. I mean, if you if you're in a if you're in a crash that that has a chance of involving any type of injury to anyone, um, you should be getting out of the car and and you know not driving anymore for a lot of reasons legal reasons evidence preservation lots of things um so that's just, just be a, a human reaction yeah but, so so I, I imagine i at a minimum i my driver's license is suspended if not revoked i'm going to be subject to civil liability if not criminal liability right yeah i mean and, and the good thing for cruises you know in California, if you're a human and did this, you can't just leave the state and go drive in another state, right? <laughs> Cruz is still going to be in Austin and Phoenix and Nashville and Raleigh and everywhere else they're trying to plant their seed right now. And, you know, this obviously doesn't apply outside the state of California. So they're going to continue testing and doing whatever they want. Wow. Okay. I didn't even think of that. So as a human, like as a person, my driver's license is gone. Like I can't drive in California. I can't drive in Wisconsin. I can't drive anywhere. Yeah. But since I'm not a human, I can do whatever the hell I want until yeah, regulators you can run catch up. People with me. over in one state, and you know, as long as here's the thing: as long as NHTSA doesn't stop you, which who knows what's going to happen there, or the state that you're in doesn't find out about it and try to stop you, you know, as an autonomous vehicle company, you can operate anywhere you want. This is probably something that should be, you know. It, on a federal level, you know, address like if if you're suspended in one state, 
you can't drive in other states as a human. Why does the same thing not apply to autonomous vehicle companies? I mean, you know, in, in, in the states assume that that one state's determination over you holds true. Like, you're a bad driver. Your license is suspended. You can't drive in any other states or you'll be probably arrested if you're pulled over. Um, here, you know, Cruz could say, okay, screw you, California. We're going to get a, we're going to stick to Texas now where all the, the, uh, California companies, tech companies seem to be moving to escape this kind of thing, um, where, the, where the roads are wide and the rules are non-existent. So that's what could be happening here. So it's only been a couple of days since California DMV said, Hey, GM Cruz, you're done. You're done. Have have any other states, Texas, Phoenix, um, have they started poking around and saying, "Hey," or that just, "Hey, we just, you know." That was if so, they're doing so really quietly because <laughs> we oh haven't heard anything about it. Um, and the states that a lot of the states that have passed autonomous vehicle regulations, um, they're very different. California was a, a lot more particular. Um, about what you're going to have to do in the state to to do this. Most states, you come in, you they say, "Oh, well, you put up a bond for five million dollars for insurance or something," and okay, you're good to go. You say everything's safe, check, check, check to box, and you're you're on the roads. Um, California does have some, you know, reporting requirements and some other things that are slightly heightened um, scrutiny of the company's operation, but there's. You know, even then, I mean, I was a, a little surprised by this. And, and you know, I, I, I don't know that the DMV in California would have made this determination outside of the fact that Cruz was lying to their face and basically violating their regulations by misrepresenting the circumstances of the of the of the crash. So I don't know that they would have made a determination without that um misrepresentation saying hey these vehicles aren't safe enough to be on our streets so that's that's another question here is, is does the fact that the company is you know operating outside the realm of reality if not somewhat illegally by lying to california authorities about these crashes did that did that play a big role in this is, is i think my my main question because you know people don't like being lied to and that goes, that's across the board. And I think that may have been the impetus for a lot of this action combined with the fact that we've seen so many problems in San Francisco. We see crews starting to expand to LA where Lord knows what's going to, what would have happened there. Michael, I think that this falls under the requirements for reporting from the standing general order of NHTSA, right? So how right. long will it be until we know whether or not that reporting took place and what NHTSA's action as a result of it would be? Well, it should have already taken place. They're required to file it in 24 hours. Now, we have no idea what was filed with NHTSA, and that will be the circumstances of these crashes are redacted. You know, I think we noted last week that um, when NHTSA opened its investigation into GM Cruise, we noted that the, there were SGO reports that were filed in the docket. Um, those went missing a couple of days later, and then they came back magically over the past week. So you can look in that docket and see what an actual SGO report looks like. And what you'll find is that a lot of the circumstances of, of the crashes are redacted. Um, the version that goes up on NHTSA's websites 
every month or so that has the current cases that they've received since the last month may or may not contain a description. It will have a lot of fields redacted. So it would be really, you know, it's difficult to tell um, what's, what exactly is going on there from a public facing standpoint. Now, now NHTSA has that information itself because they, they get the full report and, you know, they, they have a decision to make here. I mean, I, they did not cite the, the in their opening report. NHTSA did not cite this evidence that the vehicle operated had a secondary operation after the initial contact with a pedestrian. So I'm I'm interested to see first. I mean, if that if that person that tipped off the California DMV to to this was not a NHTSA um, investigator, you know, did Cruz lie to NHTSA as well? Are there, are there potential civil or criminal penalties that could arise from this? Um, you know, and also, you know, I don't want to really want to say poor Waymo, but this is the kind of thing that really sets back. I mean, we've been, we've obviously been, you know, out at the forefront of saying, you know, GM crews and some of the things they're doing are just a giant load of bullshit. But, you know, there are companies that are trying to do a better job and they, they get wrapped up in this as well. Fortunately, I think for Waymo, they're not facing a suspension or anything at the moment, but they need to stay on their toes. Well, I think that's good for everybody out on the streets for more uh, sunshine being focused on these companies and how much uh, leeway they've been given. It was only one month ago that the California Public Utilities Commission said, yes, go ahead, charge for these things. These things are great and safe. I can't imagine what it's like on the sitting on the public utility commissions now. They're probably like, oh, what report? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I didn't have that vote. I, maybe one time I worked for GM Cruise, but it was, I was in youthful indiscretion. I don't, you know, what? why are you getting me? Look, at the end of the day, GM Cruise, General Motors invests $2 billion a year in this. Smart money, dumb money. I don't know. Um, but hey, let's uh, continue along with things that autonomous vehicles are going to struggle with. There is a uh, something called a super fog. Um this is an article we're linking to from the Washington Post. The title is Toll Rises to 8 Dead, 63 Hurt from Louisiana Interstate Pileup Blamed on Dense Fog, Marsh Fire Smoke. Uh, so there was a series of crashes um, on uh, where did it? I can't find it. But it is near. It is in Louisiana. It is yeah. on the way on I-55. from. That's what I was looking for, I-55 connects jackson mississippi and new orleans which is a route i knew well in college and it is a where this happened was you're basically going through a swamp it's between lake pontchartrain and a lot of marsh there and so you've got a raised basically you're riding on one long bridge for for 10 or 15 miles i think wait is this the lake pontchartrain bridge is it that thing yeah, it's no, one yeah. of them. Okay. There are a couple of there are a lot of structures like that in the marsh in Louisiana where you're basically riding on a large raised divided highway with very little room to move on the shoulders. So right. that's really a a big part of the problem here. Is there's nowhere to go um, when when people are trapped in the fog, and you don't, you know, it's it, the. Fog itself is bad enough. I mean, we've seen crashes that had nothing to do with smoke involved with with the fog that apparently creates this super fog. 
um, you know, in, in the, I think between Chattanooga and Knoxville and Tennessee, a number of years ago, if you drive there now, there are still, you know, lights and signs and billboards with warnings um, and, and variable speed limits that, that change in response to conditions because it's in the area of the Smoky Mountains where there's a lot of fog and there have been a number of pileups in that area over the years and they wanted to stop that. Here's a situation where you wonder, hey, could the infrastructure have been better here? Shouldn't, you know, isn't it pretty obvious when there's a giant blanket of fog that vehicle drivers can't see through in an area? Shouldn't you be lowering the speed limits in that area during that period? Yes, yes, and yes. And, and you know, and there's also the question of should the cars themselves be responding or communicating in a way that prevents these kind of pileups from happening? You know, that's a, that's another big question that, that, that you know, I don't want to get us off onto a V2V vehicle to vehicle communications rant here, but that's really what could prevent these types of situations when if vehicles knew where other vehicles were in front of them, behind them, they could, they could, you know, these type of access could be prevented. Um, so that's the, the sign be road closed, like in these situations, you know, there's a, there are situations I've encountered where I, I you know, I, 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 I wish that was the case. You know, I guess the worst type of driving experience I would have is in a super heavy thunderstorm down south where you can literally see nothing and there's hydroplaning rest, there's water all over the road. And, you know, some cars are driving at 20 miles an hour with their hazards on and some people still think it's okay to just go the speed limit and blaze on through all of that. So there's a combination of, you know, bad driving, bad weather, you know, you can't shut an interstate down really in the midst of an event like this. I mean, what are you going to do with the people that are stuck on the interstate? They have to get from point A to point B somehow. So there, there needs to be a lot of thought put on that. Like, I don't think it's that difficult from a meteorological perspective to predict these events and be ready for them and be watching. Um, you know, there are marsh fires going on. And you know which way the wind's blowing and where the fog is in this situation. So I don't think it's incredibly difficult to predict from a weather perspective. And, you know, if state transportation officials could be on top of that and be aware. I mean, they have cameras on these roads. They know there's fog encroaching, um, lowering the speed limits, you know, even there's a lot of things that could have been done. And I, there's a lot of things I think they probably wish they had done now given you know the carnage that occurred in 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 this series of crashes yeah it's 168 vehicles involved uh so fred you like to ask us a series of questions in the show uh i'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire questions related to this ready yep okay so uh dense fog where you talk about hey cars are getting better and safer and all this cool was technology will a camera work help in this situation in dense fog Infrared camera would work and oh. do a lot to alleviate that. Okay. The standard uh, RGB cameras uh, probably wouldn't do much because, of course, it's foggy. You can't see through it. Okay. Uh, do cars come with infrared cameras? They do not, generally speaking, but the technology has been developed and is commercially available. And uh, it's not required, so it's not it's deployed. It's primarily used in, you know, higher end luxury vehicles where you have things like uh, sensing systems for animals. Uh, right, right. Like, oh, that's neat. like the FLIR type things. 
Uh, so the, technology, the technology is there. It could be deployed, but has not been. Uh, will LIDAR, the, 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 will that work? LIDAR in the visual range would not work. LIDAR in the infrared range could work. Okay. Um, and, to, but, uh, but again, it depends on the time scale associated with the events that are happening. Okay. So is there any other magical technology that we've ever discussed or someone's discussed that says, hey, this is in production now or coming production soon that would help this situation? Yes, the uh, the radar would help. The okay. forward-looking infrared sensors would help and displays would help. Um, and so, a sign that says, slow the hell down would help. Okay, yeah, or, so that's the simple solution. Or, you know, vehicle-to-vehicle communications that say, hey, we've got a, you know, a crash ahead. You have to slow down now. Okay. Oh, but, great point, yeah. That's unfortunately, that's the, now, unfortunately that's FCC good. has given away most of the bandwidth, so... Uh, and has actively tried to suppress the development of that technology. So that um, could be there. It could have been there a long time ago. But yeah, as Michael said, technically available, but programmatically not available. Okay. But you mentioned radar. So like the radar built into my automatic emergency braking, that will still work in dense fog and fire? Y- yes. Okay. And depends on the frequency of the, of the radar, but typically they're designed to avoid the uh, effects of of weather and smog and rain. Okay. And so how long before we have automatic emergency braking technology like that standard on all cars? Long pause. Uh, Crickets, crickets, crickets. (laughs) Michael. Nobody can say. It's technically, it could be rolled out in a couple of years. Uh, Programmatically, somebody's got to push for it. Somebody, Somebody in the government's got to push for it. So that's okay. not a technical question. It's a programmatic question. Oh, well, I, I guess we'll, uh, you know, we'll keep pushing uh, from our end the best we can. But, you know, somebody who doesn't like radar, uh, somebody who thinks LIDAR is stupid. How do you like this for a transition? <laughs> is uh, some guy named Elon Musk. And uh, he thinks, you know, hey, I can see with my eyeballs. I can drive with my eyeballs. So that's all the car needs is a cheap camera. That does that. He ignores the fact that he can actually hear too and whatnot. Uh, but so uh, I think we mentioned this a little while back, but now it's the Department of Justice is investigating the range of Tesla's electric vehicles um, because they've been lying about the range their EVs get. And it's always these things that surprise me. I'm like, what is Tesla doing that they, their range is like always like at least 50 miles longer than their competition. They're all using the same basic batteries. Like, is their car more slippery? What do they have some amazing, cool software uh, management system? And it turns out they have a really cool software feature called lying. They're lying. <laughs> Basically, if the battery is above 50% charge, it says, hey, we're going to go 50% further. Then you hit below 50% charge. It's like, oh, yeah, we... uh you know, just we entered Kyle mode earlier. We were in Kyle mode. We were lying to you. Uh, now we're in truth mode. And uh, <laughs> you better plug this thing in real fast. Uh, so, yeah, the Department of Justice, you know, it's never a good thing when when the, the DOJ says, hey, let's uh, figure out what's happening. Yeah, they, basically what happened was Tesla filed its whatever quarterly report SEC. with the SEC and it, they changed their wording significantly in it to before they had said you know we were 
we had been actively receiving, you know, information requests or things like that from the government. And then this, and in this version, they said they've actually received subpoenas. And, you know, these subpoenas are related to a number of things. They're related to everything from, you know, autopilot, full self-driving and all of the mess that's going on there where, you know, the, the emergency vehicles they're crashing into, motorcyclists, just all that entire process where Tesla is saying we can sell a vehicle and call it autopilot or full self-driving, even though it's not, um, there's an investigation into all of that. There's also a look into some of the stuff that, you know, the whole Musk talking on Twitter and having the SEC tell him what, you know, run, get permission to promote certain things after some of the things he said in the past, there is this issue, um, you know, even going to issues of things like, was Elon building a glass house somewhere? I mean, there's a lot of things these subpoenas are going to have gone to. And again, it, you know, we've talked about this in the past. There's just not a lot of insight for folks like us into the inner workings of the DOJ, which is probably the way it should be. Um, but, it, you know, it does appear that, you know, that's just even more confirmation that the government is looking into criminal charges possibly and certainly civil penalties when it comes to a lot of tesla's behaviors in relation to not just consumer safety but also you know the range on your vehicle and some other activities that have been going on there i want to point out to our listeners that the sec means securities and exchange commission and they have jurisdiction over public companies, the companies listed on the stock market, for example, and also the reporting that is required by public companies. Um, so the, the company Tesla is a public company. So they are required to do certain reporting and have certain factual statements. The other companies owned by Mr. Musk or controlled by Mr. Musk, including uh, X, are private companies and they can do whatever they want. So there's no reporting requirement for private companies. So that's why this has come up in relation to Tesla and who knows what else is going on in the private companies, but there are responsibilities for reporting the public companies that are the reason for this disclosure, why this is coming out now. So I might be jumping ahead here a bit, but do you think like in the future, do you think that Kyle and Elon get will be able to share the same prison cell i don't know i think they're too much alike you know opposites mm. attract we need we need more diversity there they're both pretty experienced in the art of sleight of hand so you they have, they have do they have cells with three beds because there's another gentleman who might be headed that way soon it's been in the news lately wait don't read news articles about me what are you talking about Oh uh, gosh, some guy who you're getting off to topic. I know what you're. Okay, that, that's not related <laughs> to auto safety. Okay, look. So I think okay. So maybe Kyle runs one prison gang. Elon runs the other prison gang. Um, it'll you be really see it in this gang leader enforcer type? No. Okay, no, I think they're probably in the prison library on the computer trying to communicate with <laughs> their friends. They got a lot of friends. Oh, that would be a great reality show. Become a friend with one of these sociopaths. Uh, uh, hey, more on sociopathic behavior. So a couple years ago, Elon got on stage with this thing that looked like it was designed inside Minecraft. 
Uh, and he called it the Tesla Cybertruck. And he was saying it was bulletproof. And they took a steel ball and they broke the glass windows. And like, oh, <laughs> that didn't work. Let's try that again. And again, same thing happened. Now, re- forget the, the aesthetics of this thing. He was claiming that it was going to be this, uh, th- that the conventional body and bed of a con- conventional truck did nothing useful. They are all carried like cargo, like a sack of potatoes. So he's saying that the design, uh, the build of trucks, pickup trucks that, you know, not used by, you know, soccer parents and whatnot, but like by construction workers and people actually use them, that it's pointless to have these things here, these truck beds. I I don't understand that logic where he was coming from there. Uh, Well, especially after you look at a cyber truck and realize the bed is crap and it's small and you're not doing anything with it. Um, it, It's a joke. It's, It's kind of like Silicon Valley tried to meet middle America and build them a pickup truck and really fucked it up. Yeah. It was if somebody like, they're like, I really like that movie, Mad Max. And I think my three-year-olds Van Gogh, right? Um, yeah. So he was claiming all this stuff that it was going to be uh monocoque body construction. Some of the for- formula one cars, it was going to be, um, uh, this unibody construction or all the stuff. And so as they, go along they realize uh we can't do any of this like none of this works i am a liar liar my pants are on fire um this car is how many years behind schedule four or five yeah uh, i mean that, that in com- combination with the fact that uh, the other manufacturers of electric pickup trucks have them sitting on lots right now unsold and are sh- you know basically shutting down production because there's not enough demand um so it's really looking bad i mean it really looks like they dug their own grave as 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 mr musk said yeah it's interesting so it's the whole this stainless steel body thing they um another famous car that was stainless steel is a delorean and they just found one parked in like a, a farmhouse in wisconsin somewhere and hadn't been used in forever and you can see like stainless steel doesn't really hold up that well <laughs> like it's not it's not as uh as exciting as as you can be. I mean, it's the same reason they make countertops out of it in gas stations. Like that's, that's what stainless steel is good for. Uh, but yeah, this Ars Technica article ends with basically what Michael was just saying is saying, ah, it doesn't look like there's much of a market for these things. Um, so hey, good luck. I mean, they'll have to look at me market, but you know, that's about it. I I don't think they're getting farmers and contractors involved. And I mean, there's, you're going to have so many dings on that, on all the panels after one week of work that it's going to be, you're going to have an ugly truck immediately. I, I don't understand that. A more ugly well, truck. Well, in that case, you're starting with an ugly truck, so you can't help but end up with an ugly <laughs> truck. Exactly. But, uh, you know, sometimes when people are willing to buy a bad idea whose time has come, they rapidly realize that it's a bad idea and its time has come and gone pretty quickly. Uh, pet rocks come to mind hey you know my pet rock's still going strong yeah, that's later. <laughs> uh so how do we know how much how much does the cyber truck weigh what's its weight i think well the, the reports are everywhere but it's it's over six thousand pounds um wow. it could be as high as nine it could you know you just don't know we don't know yet huh um, Nothing's in, really clear that comes out of there except the price for what you're going to buy. <laughs> and even that changes based on yes. his mood. 
so the reason I ask about weight is uh, Colorado is adding a vehicle weight fee to try and tame the mega car crisis and protect vulnerable road users. Um, Colorado, uh, it looks like they're going to charge for something like a Toyota RAV4 as little as an extra 450 a year for uh, its registration fees. And uh, be hum- be, uh, Hummer, you'd have to pay twenty nine ninety more a year, which sounds incredibly, incredibly low. Um, and this is in Colorado. It's going to be to for residents of all but the 12 most populous counties uh, would be exempt from this. Um, and that's meant to reflect where bicyclists and pedestrian deaths happen the most. But of course, when you actually look at the data uh, from this article from streetsblog.org, of course, many sustainable transportation advocates argue that disincentivizing large vehicle purchases should be a legislative priority even in less populous rural areas where pedestrian death rates are actually higher per mile than they are in urban centers. So this seems like they're doing the right thing. They want to do this, but it also seems like, I mean, if you're buying a Hummer, what's 30 bucks a year? Who cares? Like 30 bucks doesn't even get them like three miles to the gallon. Like, Yeah, I, I think that, you know, if it was... 30 here's where i mean and then dc's tried something similar to this and, and here's where the states need to be careful and and where the money matters you know you've got to put this money directly back into infrastructure improvements for pedestrians and other vulnerable road users you know whether you're creating better crosswalks or you're creating bike lanes that are actually separate from traffic um, I don't think that the fees proposed in Colorado are going to get them, you know, say they have 2 million SUVs in Colorado at $5 a pop, you know, that even if you're charging $50 a pop, you're probably not getting enough money into the state treasury to really make an impact <clears throat> and really create new and better infrastructure. So DC, what they did was they take that money and they throw it right into the general fund where it's not even going to transportation. So at least Colorado got it right in terms of putting the money back into the right places with this law. But the amount of money, I, I still question as to whether that's going to have a, a, a real impact um, on, on the conversion of, you know, making infrastructure better and you know making people actually leave their vehicles do more walking using public transportation is 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 a giant uh problem and i don't know how how that's going to be addressed long term but i don't think that you know something this small a fee that small really is going to do a whole lot about it well a problem this large uh is hard to take on all at once and i think that the initiative is very important because getting started down the road towards making these vehicles assume the liability and the consequences of their own design is an important and big step to take. What's 30 bucks this year will be 300 bucks in five years or maybe 3,000 bucks in 10 years. So once the mechanism is in place and people accept the mechanism, there's probably a lot that the legislators can do to increase the disincentives, if you will, or you know, to, to try to equilibrate the consequences of those vehicle designs with the rest of the public. So it, it's a small step, but it's a big, but it's a very important step to take. And we'd like to see it, or at least I'd like to see it um, nationwide. This, this whole idea of these giant trucks careening down the highways is, is very bad. 
know it's also a small but significant step? Going to autosafety.org and clicking on that donate button. We're not asking for millions and millions of dollars, but hey, if you're a Colorado resident, why don't you pay the the, the fee that you do on your uh, your giant massive car? Granted, if you listen to this podcast, you probably don't have a giant massive car. You probably have two, and that's how wealthy you are. So double donate even more money. Ah, uh, thanks for putting up with that nonsense that spills out of my face. Um, thanks, thanks everyone. I want, <laughs> I want everyone to know that from me. <laughs> yeah, every time I speak, Michael. A little part of him dies on the inside. <laughs> um, all right, uh, let's go into the the, the Tower of Fred this week because I think this is a this is going to be an interesting one. We're going to talk um, in honor of uh, well, in honor of Halloween, the scary auto engineering top five. You've now entered the Tower of Fred. Michael asked me in honor of my five years with the Center for Auto Safety to come up with the top five engineering disasters of the last five years. So I've tried to do that. Um, so top five engineering problems in the last five years. Here's number seven, the active <laughs> suppression, uh, active suppression of V2X technology development and deployment by FCC. So V2X means vehicle to everything communication. There was bandwidth reserved by Congress to enable vehicles to talk with each other and with the infrastructure to eliminate safety problems. The FCC refused to license the implementation of this technology, and then they used the argument that nobody has licensed the technology to say we don't need to reserve this bandwidth anymore and restricted uh -huh. the bandwidth uh, available to this technology. So it was, a, it was a classic we've met the enemy and we as us technique. And it worked for them. And uh, Ajit Pai, is, who was the chairman, has gone on to his future. So that's number seven. Number six, uh, the elimination of all NHTSA engineering and safety requirements for AV classification, development, safety, and public highway operation. In previous administrations, there were some preliminary regulations that were promulgated by NHTSA for the uh, – AV development. <clears throat> the previous administration negated all of those, just simply took them out and said, uh, in the future, everything will be better and go do whatever you want. So that's a huge gap that should be closed. What could go wrong? Come what on. What could possibly go wrong? No. That's right. No idea. Number five, there is no third party inspection capability or resources for current or planned safety critical automated control features. So if you go into, if you bring your car into a safety inspection or you'd like to know whether or not your car is safe, typically you walk around the car, lights work, wipers work, tires work. These are all visual inspections. Um, there are a lot of safety critical automated features in every car sold today, whether it's automatic emergency braking, lane keeping assist, uh, blind spot warning systems, a lot of automatic safety critical features that cannot be inspected visually. There is no way for a third party, including the owner, to verify that all of these systems are operating correctly before you take the car out on the road. That's a huge gap that needs to be closed. Um, 
number four. No requirements, standards, or specifications or commercial availability for immobilization of vehicles driven by impaired drivers. Impaired drivers are overrepresented in the deaths of uh, motorists and pedestrians in America today, uh, worldwide actually, but the impaired drivers, including drunk drivers, drivers with medical problems, uh, who knows what can happen, right? Texting or, drivers. I'm sorry? Do texting drivers count as an impaired driver? Because isn't texters I would the say most yes. Dangerous? I mean, de facto, they, they're not paying attention. So there could be a technical solution that somehow immobilizes the vehicle if it's not being driven properly. And uh, that's not happened. It's contributing to a lot of highway deaths unnecessarily. Um, next up, number three, over-reliance on 50% male hybrid three ATDs, also known as crash test dummies. It's well known in the industry, it's well known by government, that women are underrepresented in the crash test dummies, that the physical crash results of a male-oriented crash test dummy are not the same as women. Many of us have noticed that women are not the same as men. Women uh, distribute the weight differently and have different biological functions. They get pregnant. Men rarely get pregnant. So, you know, there there is no adequate representation of women in particular and or other body types like elderly, tall people uh, in the eight in the ATDs that are being used for crash tests worldwide. But, and, and worldwide in general, but in the United States in particular. The United States is far behind Europe in the diversity of dummies being used. Of, of the items you've mentioned so far, this sounds like the easiest one to fix because there already exists dummies of a variety of shapes and sizes. Yes, and there are a lot of empty seats going begging in the crash test that are being done. So uh, maybe it's something I'm not seeing clearly, but it seems like you could fill up some of the other empty seats in these crash test vehicles with different body types to find out what the heck is happening. Uh, industry may not want that because it complicates the design standards and it perhaps reduces the number of stars they get. But as we've discussed in this show in the past, every vehicle now is getting four or five stars. So what the hell? We're not learning anything from these crash tests, except that people know how to design to the test. Everyone gets uh, a trophy. Everyone gets a trophy. Participation trophies. That's a great idea. <laughs> That's why also why we I try to highlight every time the Insurance Institute comes out with some of its studies and crash testing results because they do put people in rear seats more often and they often come out with uh, you know, we've talked in the past about some of the minivan rear seat issues and just rear seats in general, where there have been a severe lack of dummies for testing for many, many years. No, that's a great point. And, and uh, again, to remind our readers that crash tests are done by NHTSA, by the U.S. government in their crash test program. They're also done by private organizations in the United States, primarily the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, which runs a, in some sense, parallel program. But the uh, IIHS uses a much more extensive set of tests and uh, test subjects than the government does. So the government's running way behind 
they should be catching up. So number two is the absence of NHTSA standards applicable to current models for sale to the public for airbag inflator development qualification and safety, connected vehicle cybersecurity, automated controls that induce automation complacency, full life cycle safety critical technology performance assurance, operational software stress testing and validation, and object event detection and response. So this is not futuristic stuff. This is all stuff that's being built into the cars that are being delivered today to ordinary purchases of these cars. None of them have associated regulations with them. All of them are being deployed at the discretion of the automobile manufacturers. And as we learned today from the discussion of the cruise incident in San Francisco, the manufacturers don't always have a vested interest, it seems, in using the truth and the best information available to make the public understand the limitations of these technologies. And now I'm going to go to number one. Number one is stylish, overweight SUVs and pickups, paren with no speed levers, close paren, savaging fuel consumption and endangering motorists and pedestrians and bicyclists alike. Okay, so we've noted here that worldwide, there's been a steady and consistent decrease in pedestrian and highway deaths in every developed country, except for which one, uh, Michael? That would be us. That would be us, the United States. We have met the enemy and he is us. So we don't know for sure, but it seems more and more likely every day that this is simply because of the push for the giant vehicles that are being put out on the highways. Now you've played ping pong. Right, Michael? Oh, yeah. Anthony, you've ever played ping pong? Love ping pong. I once worked for a startup where the entire engineering staff all played ping pong. I thought my team was messing with me. They may go go out and buy like a $30 ping pong paddle. They had like the former Pakistani amateur champion. Wow. That's that's good hazing. Well, thank you for those details. That's a a little (laughs) off topic, but um, I got excited. But you've seen ping pong in any case. And what happens with ping pong is you have a very light object, which is the ball, and you have a very massive object, which is the paddle, which is attached to the human being. So we, most of us recognize that when you hit the very small object with the very large object, the small object goes flying and the massive object continues more or less in its trajectory. This, friends, is the same thing that happens when these gigantic vehicles run into other vehicles or run into a pedestrian on the highway. There is no reason for these vehicles to be so large except for style. And gosh, you know, to me it seems odd and tragic that people are so concerned about wanting to get behind this, this vehicle that makes them think they're driving a Mack truck that they're willing to endanger themselves and other people, other people around them. I, I think Just, you're missing the big point. Like, I, I mean, where am I supposed to put my double gulp in the cup holders of my little Toyota Corolla? No, I need a giant SUV with giant cup holders. Thank you. Get out of my way, boomer. So are you submitting that if Toyota offered optional large cup holders on their Prius, that we wouldn't be seeing so many sales of these large SUVs? Yeah, I think this collapsed. 
<laughs> Prius people aren't buying double gulps. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I guess it's important for the economy because these vehicles are the most overpriced and profitable vehicles being sold by American manufacturers today. And the pickup factories are the most um, profitable factories in the United States. So what what does that mean to you, the consumer? Well, it means that the largest proportion of the money that you're spending on this vehicle is going right into the coffers of these companies uh, without regard for the actual cost of producing the vehicle. So congratulations. You are, you are supporting the stock market, which I guess we all benefit from now because of our 401ks, right? So thank you very much for overspending on your vehicle. We appreciate it. And uh, that's the list of the top five. Any comments, guys? That seemed like there were more than five. Yeah, I don't think you can count. What kind of engineer are you? You don't work to sub ten micron accuracy, do you? I'm a mic. I'm a, a rocket scientist retired. So that, you know that. <laughs> but on, on number one, I, I, I on number number one, I guess you know I'm from a generally rural space in America, and you know there are people who work every day and rely on pickup trucks to get them to their jobs and back and to do the work they're doing while they're at their jobs. What's, you know, could we cut the current pickup trucks in half weight-wise and still accomplish the same things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why not? I mean, people tend to buy the pickup trucks imagining that they're going to be traveling, they're going to be dragging their 45-foot trailer to the, you know, the woods to go on their vacation or whatever. Um but the world went on quite nicely 50 years ago when pickup trucks were small and cheap. And the cliche of the rural owner who had a pickup truck with a uh, rifle rack in the back, that's not a new phenomenon. That's been around for a long, long time. I think that if the companies were to offer you know, large trucks with large beds that are a lot lighter and... Uh, you know, maybe they don't have a V12 engine in them. Maybe that maybe the world can get by with a six-cylinder engine in these vehicles. I can tell you that a six-cylinder engine in a pickup truck is still enough to get you a speeding ticket. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you put uh, many trucks have things called transmissions in them, which allows you to provide enough torque to pull anything at a low speed, even if you have a smaller engine. You really don't need to have a a gas turbine engine in your pickup truck in order to accomplish the things you need to accomplish. Um, the driver's seat does not need to be 10 feet off the ground. You do not need to have a ladder to get into your into your pickup truck in order to accomplish the, the things you need to accomplish every day when you go to work. Um, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm not so using guess, it. To, I guess we should. I'm working, I'm, I'm working out of my house, so maybe I'm not the right person to ask. But, you know, these damn things are enormous. And, yeah, I was going to say, I guess, you know, we know things started going wrong when pickup trucks started having automatically deploy, deploying steps that let you get into this. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, they call them running boards back in the 30s, right? But I guess now they're uh, automatically deployable steps. So a friend of mine has like a used Acura, and it's funny because the previous owner put one of those ball pickup joints on the the rear end of it, you know, yeah. so you can attach things to it. And I was like, why? Why would you have this? What is it called? 
a tow hitch a tow hitch yeah so they have a tow hitch on an acura sedan type thing yeah and i was like what do you like how does this work because i always assumed oh to tow something you need a truck very naive and dumb of me but apparently this tow like on an acura sedan it'll tow over five thousand pounds like right that i think that's more than the car weighs <laughs> and that's still- a lot of weight that's a lot of mass yeah, and, like and uh you know you can get a pickup truck that can tow Ten thousand. A lot. You can get a semi tractor trailer that can tow twenty tons. Okay. Uh, I think the people who buy the pickup trucks imagine themselves to be a truck driver who's going to be traveling, you know, and dragging twenty tons. And if you watch the commercials on the football games, they've always got a pickup truck that is towing a fifty foot trailer into the wilderness so that you can have fun with your family. But they're always towing out like a flat screen TV and a couch, which is very strange to me. I think that's a better idea for watching football, actually. But <laughs> that's just me. Take it out into the woods and, you know, set up a flat screen TV. And, and, I, and you know, this is, uh, it's not the end of the world for somebody to buy a pickup truck. But if you look at, again, over the past five years and trends that are increasing the hazard to people on the highway rather than decreasing the hazard to people on the highway, this really looms large, uh, no pun intended. But you know, these giant vehicles with restricted visibility, uh, burning people over, and and just adding tremendous amounts of energy to the crash scene, and really disadvantaging people who don't care to buy such giant vehicles for defensive purposes. Uh, it's not criminal, but it's I think a bad. I, well, a bad idea whose time has come. Mm. So, listeners, uh, tell us what you think of uh, Fred's top five, seven uh, list. What uh, what things have you come across in the last five years, last 10 years, last 20 years, last 100 years that you're like, hey, this is a really bad idea in cars. Okay. And uh, automated lap belts, that's, you know, that, that's too obvious. The Pontiac Fiero, which burst into flames. Great name for a car. Very accurate. Uh, but yeah, write in, let us know. Contact at autosafety.org. And now it's time for rear backup camera failures. Uh, or so wait, 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 wait. But before we do that, uh, I just want full disclosures to let people know that I contacted Michael and, and Anthony ahead of time and asked them what their ideas were. And Anthony came up with the Dimaxion vehicle, which was Buck Mr. <laughs> Fuller's Vision of the future from 1942 or something like that. Um, it's always interesting to see visions of the future as they collapse when the future finally arrives. And Dimension Vehicle is one of those. But uh, kudos to Anthony. <laughs> kudos to Anthony for, for knowing that little bit of engineering history. Thank you. Well, I do what I can. So recall roundup. Um, let's start off with one from Chrysler. Pedestrian alert siren not connected. Voter, voter, oh, so close to get. I'm just going to skip it. Uh, potentially 4,660 vehicles. This is uh, Chrysler's recalling certain 2023 to 2024 Dodge Hornet. They still make a Dodge Hornet and Alfa Romeo Tonali plug-in hybrid vehicles. Uh, the pedestrian alert siren may be missing or disconnected and fail to alert pedestrians when the vehicle is in reverse. Huh. So wait, is this like the Whistler thing on EVs? Yeah, it's the the vehicles, hybrid and electric vehicles, when they're operating under a certain speed, don't make really much noise. And so NHTSA put into place basically a minimum sound requirement that you have to make a noise when you're traveling at these speeds to warn people, whether they're just normal pedestrians, whether they're blind, whatever. There, there needs to be some type of warning. And here, 
Alfa Romeo slash Chrysler Dodge didn't hook them up when they shipped the vehicles. So they're hmm. they're connecting that up for you now. It's another argument for a four-day work week, so we skip these Friday afternoon problems. Uh, headliner plate detachment. Uh, this is Kia. Uh, rare to see them here in Recall Roundup. Uh, Kia is recalling certain 2009 to 2014 Borrego vehicles. The headliner plates may not be secured properly, which can result in the plates detaching in the event of a side curtain airbag deployment. Oh, my, wait, there's headliner plates. Well, I don't. What's a headliner plate? Like the headliner is always that thing in old cars that when you're drooping and you're like, oh, this looks. I think it's the, the like the uh, yeah, like the top of the little the the fabric plastic type thing that's covering the top of your vehicle on the inside yeah on the inside and so basically the the airbags deploying and then blowing or pushing this headliner plate out into people which can cause a crash i I don't know that my uh mimicking what happens visually really helps our listeners there but or our readers (laughs) yeah it uh it's it's essentially you know it doesn't it doesn't appear to be a, a a incredibly forceful type deployment are happening a lot but um because these are you know these vehicles are some of them 15 years old so they've gone back in time you know I, you know i i would say that this is one of the things that kia has d- detected due to some enhanced recall and safety monitoring they're doing in north america that they weren't doing in the past hmm. uh, and here it is i know you've been waiting for it the entire episode uh, another recall rear view camera image may not display federal motor vehicle safety standard one 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 ford is the winner this week uh 2866 vehicles ford is recalling certain 2023 explorer vehicles equipped with a standard rear view camera is there a non-standard rear view camera uh due to manufacturing error in the wire harness the rear view camera may display a blue image on the sink screen uh when the vehicle is placed in reverse as such these vehicles do not comply with the requirements of federal motor vehicle safety standard number 111 rear visibility oh that was a also a lesser known hitchcock movie really no not at all so this is we went a couple of weeks which are surprising you know this is the one of the rising recalls that we've seen the last couple of years where there there, i think there were 30 or more in each of the previous two years and we're seeing even more this year um and this is another wiring issue on these you know there's a couple of ways that we typically seeing the rear view cameras fall out of compliance and that's a, a bad software interaction with the you know the infotainment system which probably shouldn't be connected up with it uh but they're kind of forced to be because they're united in the fact that they both use screens uh that are available to drivers so they've been joined in function and in most vehicles and so that's what we usually see um but we also see a lot of this where there's wiring issues there's you know i guess there's a long way to travel between your screen at the front and the camera at the back for the rear view cameras and so this is a wiring harness splice problem in the ford explorers they just got to go wireless man wireless then there will be recalls on that (laughs) and the final recall this week effects bmw 9000 plus vehicles this is the 2023 to 2024 740i 740i x drive 760i x drive uh and it's also recalling the people who came up to the name of these vehicles and they need to be taken up back and 
have a stern talking to. Approximately 5,680 vehicles were manufactured in which the ground connection to the steering wheel may not have been attached according to the specifications by the supplier. What is that going to do for me? Well, uh, what that would do is it would allow the vehicle to detect whether or not your hands were in contact with the steering wheel. Uh, so these BMWs have a form of driver monitoring, and they have this thing called the emergency stopping assistant. assistant. Mm. And this thing literally, it's it, it's I hadn't really heard of it until a couple of days ago, specifically the BMW system, but there's some cool videos of it where if you are experiencing a medical emergency or if the vehicle detects that you're not driving the vehicle, it can pull over to the side of the road and stop the car. Um, and it can do so even in traffic um, if you're incapacitated. Um, there's a, I think it was you, you pull up on the parking brake lever and hold it for a few seconds. And that engages the system and pulls the vehicle over essentially autonomously, which is really interesting. Um, but it's something, obviously, it's on BMWs. It's only on very high-end vehicles that cost a lot more than what most of us can afford. But it's a really cool feature. But, you know, it doesn't work when you don't plug the steering wheel um, into the system so that inputs to the steering wheel can be connected. So apparently they screwed up at the at the manufacturing point and did not hook that up. So that that system and the... the uh, driver detection detection and monitoring systems in those vehicles is ineffective until you have that steering wheel input, um, which is so important to the whole process. You have to have that information coming into the computer so that it can make an evaluation of whether the driver's actively driving the car. Pretty neat system. Hey, and with that, listeners, we're out of time. Uh, next week, we're going to cover something we missed this week that I want to cover is a, uh, a dip in deer strikes. Apparently, people are hitting deers less, and they're trying to figure out why. Um, doesn't apply to Fred Perkins, but hey, um, other drivers are hitting them less, uh, so that's something. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, maybe next week, Kyle will be in jail. We don't know. I can't say things like that. Sure, I can. I can say whatever the hell I want. Yeah, that was okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay, that okay, good. Uh, hey, again, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure you subscribe, give us five stars, just like we're an end cap test. Um, and uh, tell all your friends. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. Bye, everybody. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.